Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California and Feeling Minnesota. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I am an extraordinarily handsome young man, and I am a writer and an acting coach, sunny Southern California. And I am joined by Barry Anderson, everybody's favorite Minnesotan. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am the opposite of you. Apparently, I'm... Uh older and less good looking but you know we'll let the audience decide via our voices who who wins that battle but i'm a director based in uh, the twin cities and uh yeah we got an interesting one today you know we're we're we've done our our, our mm. oscar podcast and now as we get closer to the voting opening up now is the as they say the wins you know one week or one day it's this one day one week it's that so we uh decided to jump uh Firmly in the farm. Uh, which one are we doing today, Mike? We are doing The Power of the Dog. Now, The Power of the Dog, it's written and directed by Jane Campion. It's based on the book, The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage, which I think came out in the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the movie stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith McPhee. Um, and let's see here. It's on Netflix. Came out on Netflix uh, November 17th. That's back when I saw it. Has a budget of uh, between 35 and $39 million. And here's the basic story. Uh, there are two brothers um, played by Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. They are the Burbank brothers, Phil and George. And they are cattle ranchers in, uh, where is this set? Is this Montana? Yeah, it's in Montana in 1925. Yeah. And they're sort of these, uh, Phil, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, is this sort of hard-ass uh, rancher, and everybody's scared of him. And his brother, George, played by Jesse, is, is more sort of a genial fellow, nicer guy. Anyway, George marries this woman, Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst, um, who is a widow who has a teenage son, and that teenage son is... Peter, played by Cody Smith McBee. Peter is a very effeminate, um, odd young man. He's he's into arts. He's into sort of dissecting animals and things like that. He's a strange cat, uh, but he dresses very sort of uh, flamboyantly for the time period. And they move in to the Burbank family household, and there's all these tensions. And Phil, in particular, sort of torments Rose and uh and peter and that's the basic story we're gonna have to get into spoilers as we get further along but uh be prepared for those spoilers if you haven't seen it if you have seen it just stick around listen to the conversation so this is the power of the dog now the power of the dog has been nominated for 12 academy award nominations including best picture best director best actor for cumberbatch best supporting actor for both uh, Jesse Plemons and uh, Cody Smith McPhee and a Best Sporting Actress for Kirsten Dunst. It is the odds-on favorite at this moment to win Best Picture. Uh, Jane Campion is a favorite to win Best Director. She already has a Best uh, Screenplay from 1991 or 92, I think it was, uh, for the piano. So this is the big movie. This is it. Everybody has to have an opinion on this movie and we're going to share ours. So. Barry Anderson, who has a new haircut, everybody. You can't see him, but he has a new haircut. It's the same style, but it's just, it's been freshened up. He's looking good. Um, Barry is 
not so much a cowboy, but uh, he's a, <laughs> he's not, a Midwestern not, not. guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't and, know if Midwestern uh, Minnesota is quite the same as your uh, Ranchland, Montana, uh, Wyoming, and thereabouts. But uh, yeah, boy, you're going to ask me what I think about this movie. I am. I'm going to ask you, Barry Anderson, what do you think of this movie? I think people who've listened to this podcast a lot lately kind of are ready for my, well, this is a hard movie to really talk about. Um, this is a movie I didn't know much about coming into. I remember, you know, seeing a new Benedict Cumberbatch movie. And since he's basically in every Marvel movie now, um, they like to promote him because obviously it's a, it's a lot of good free publicity. And I was like, oh, that looks interesting. Um, and then I started the movie. And then I was like, oh, this is this is this is not a mainstream movie. I, I need to be in the right headspace to watch this. So turned it off for a few days until uh, I, I had an evening where I could kind of more or less clear my mind and pay attention. Because, like I said, it's definitely not a, you know, for people who have been into things like, um, well, any any traditional Western or if they're watching Yellowstone or whatnot, this is a different pacing. This is a different style of to- uh, storytelling, um, which is not readily consumable to uh a a fast-paced world where everyone just wants you know what's the plot what's happening next um this is not that sort of movie um i i i enjoy benedict cumberbatch some of his movies more so than others uh jesse plemons i typically like um there are times where i feel like he maybe kind of plays too similar character in some of his performances but by and large i like him as an actor um i remember when i heard that it was directed by uh jane that i was like man i haven't heard about her in a while <laughs> yeah i went and looked it up on uh imdb and i think that this is her first feature film that she's directed since 2009 and the only thing yeah. she's directed was a uh, uh tv series where she directed eight episodes and i think right. the last one that she directed was in 2017 so this was I mean, she was a, a critical darling, you know, back in the day where, you know, she was kind of amongst that list of uber power indie filmmaker extraordinaires. And she just kind of vanished. And boy, oh boy, talk about coming back on the scene and being welcomed back like the prodigal daughter. <laughs> she, right. she released yeah. this and Hollywood was like, where have you been all of my life? Um, which leads me to the film itself. Um I, I can't say that I liked it. <laughs> there are elements that were interesting. There were parts that, you know, I, I've, I've matured in the fact that when I'm watching certain styles of films, you know, I, I understand what I can tap into or what's accessible for me, but this, this movie, I don't know, wasn't working so much for me. <laughs> we can talk into the whys and whatnot, but uh, this was, this was not, this was not one of those ones where you discover an award season go like, where has this movie been? You know, you know, right. I want more movies like this made. Um, I'm not saying that this movie shouldn't have been made, but you know, I don't think this is the one that clamors like, oh, good, they're still making smart, you know, well-made adult films, uh, not in the pornographic region. You can't say adult films now without uh putting that caveat <laughs> on it, because that's definitely not what this movie is. Um, I don't know, Mike, what do, what do you what what were your kind of first impressions slash as it simmered in your brain a bit uh 
did it grow? Did it shrink? What 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 was your feelings? In no, it. Um, <laughs> there was no yeah. simmering needed. Mike was there just was no, no simmering. I, I you know I was excited to see the movie. Um, it's a solid cast that I thought like oh okay this is great. Jane Campion is an interesting filmmaker. Anyway, um, I think she's overvalued in a lot of ways for a variety of reasons. But but it, I at least find her interesting, you know. I mean, yeah, I think um, I think she's she she has her style isn't as bold as a lot of her male uh, counterparts, like a Quentin Tarantino and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It has like a, a distinct style. But the the Jane Campion movies I've seen, her pacing and kind of the subject matter. There is you know she plays in a in a in a pool that kind of you can you know as soon as I was watching, I'm like oh, and I looked it up, I'm like this does feel like a, a Jane Campion movie. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a yeah. certain, there's, and I, but it's not, it's not really describable. You can't really, you know, kind of pinpoint it, but in any director, that's what you want. You want them to have kind of their own voice, their own style and have it, you know, be something. And I got to give her that, that, you know, her movies are something. Um, now on the scale of where those go, <laughs> that's for the audiences to decide, which is maybe why she hasn't directed a feature film since 2008. I don't know if she's been making money for studios uh, in decades. Yeah, uh, exactly. And my issue with the movie, I did not like the movie, which I have to say, you know, for in terms of film credits, put, puts me in a small minority. It has a 94% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 79% audience score. I really didn't like the film at all um and what bothered me about it wasn't like the idea of it so again spoiler alerts coming what this movie is it's an anti-western you know so it it's which is not uncommon nowadays um but it sort of tries to uh um use the the genre of the western and the and the sort of structure of it to uh undermine those archetypes or not not undermine isn't even the right word but just uh sort of turn them on their head um which is you know interesting so like uh but but what they do in this story is um phil the big tough cowboy is actually gay and he is torturing uh, the teenage boy, um, uh, Peter, who is also gay. And then there's this weird sort of connection between the two and you think it'll work out. And then there's a, 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 quote, a twist at the end sort of thing. And there's, I have no problem with that sort of story, you know, like that sort of approach to an anti-Western. For instance, Brokeback Mountain is, is another one where you take these sort of archetypes of these very, you know, traditionally masculine men and you turn them into, uh, you know, gay characters and it's an interesting thing. And that, that Brokeback Mountain is a vastly superior film, obviously. Um, the problem with this movie is that it's a movie about masculinity made by people who have no idea what that is. They have no relationship to it. They don't understand it. They probably wouldn't know if it 
bit them on the ass. And that's a huge problem. Another huge problem is that, well, well, look, Jane Campion makes movies that generally the protagonist is a woman, right? In all of her movies, it's told from a female perspective and this and that. In this movie, there's a female perspective, but it's a, a supporting role. It's Kristen Dunn's character. Um, to me, actually, that character is the most interesting uh, and the most believable. I think the Benedict Cumberbatch thing, I, I, I do not dislike him as an actor, but boy, he is terribly miscast in this. He is supposed to be this hard ass, you know, rough and tumble character. And the second he steps on screen, he looks like a gay man sort of sashaying in a cowboy outfit. And so it undermines the entire story that I never buy him play acting as a cowboy. And it's, it's really distracting to me. It, it undermines the power of the story, undermines the, the twists and the turns of the story. Um, some of the performances are good. I actually thought Kristen Dunst was quite good. Um, and Jesse Plemons can be, uh, I really like him as an actor. And I feel in this, he's a little, um, a little too Jesse Plemons, you know, sort of a little too subtle, <laughs> you know, for yeah, lack I think, of a better I word. Think, I think that is a good word. What was strange to me is I think the best stories, the best movies that you get told is if there are things that are outside of your comfort zone or outside of, you know, what you know, I think that's why people like watching things like a mob movie because most people aren't, you know, part of a criminal organization that if you make a wrong move, they might murder you or your family. Uh, but it's kind of interesting to, you know, I think that's part of the appeal to things like, um, uh, oh, what was the show that Jesse was on? Uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's like, oh, what would I do if I did that? Knowing that I wouldn't, but, you know, would I make those decisions? You know, where would I draw my lines? And so in this sort of movie where you're go taking a different look at a different side of the old West, I was trying to understand like the characters and like, you know, the best, to me, the best stories end up coming where you are forced into decisions that the audience can understand why you're making them, even if they're not congruent with the moral structure or whatever within that character, or there's, you know, like in the many times in life when you're looking at two options, both of which are bad, and how do you make the lesser of the two evil choices? And so I thought this would be a movie that you could kind of spend time kind of analyzing those. And I don't know if the movie just lost me and I missed them, but I felt things like when Jesse Plemons character marries um, Kirsten Dunst and brings her back to the, the, the farm, the family farm. I mean, it was made very clear to him that nobody liked her or wanted her on the farm. And so when he leaves for long periods of time, just abandoning her to basically the wolves, it, like there's no kind of internal, like, Hey, this is going to be hard or what should I do? Or when he returns back and sees that there's like trouble and drama brewing, he just slips right back in. And I just, I mean, there was stuff like that where I'm like, wait, are the characters tracking what the audience is tracking or are they completely right. unaware? And if they are unaware, that would be interesting to show like, you know, it would be fun if he brought her back and he thought it was great and you didn't 
you know, nobody told him that they didn't like. And then as soon as he leaves, they all turn on her. So then you're like sad for both her and Jesse Plemons character. Cause you're like, Oh, they're totally destroying his life behind his back, but none of that happened. So like, I just found myself in so many instances, just wondering, like, I don't understand why nobody's reacting to any of the bad stuff or the, the misbehavior in the movie. And you're just like, well, you know, are they just all incapable <laughs> of human connection? Yeah. Like it just I mean, it was very strange to me and how they decided to tell that. I agree. And that part of that taps into the thing that I've been talking about, about Cumberbatch, that he's supposed to be this menacing presence. And yet he comes across as this sort of sneering and snide weakling. You know what I mean? Like he, he's, it's, it's like performance art, watching him walk in his cowboy boots. It's, it's absurd. And, you know, if he were some barrel chested, you know, badass, you'd be like, oh, okay. I know why nobody's saying anything to him. <laughs> right. Well, You're like, I get it. They're afraid he's going to kick the shit out of him. And you look at Cumberbatch in his, in his, you know, prissy little outfit as a cowboy. You just laugh and you think like, why doesn't somebody just tell this guy to fuck off and kick him right in the face? Because he's not going to do anything about it. But it, and so what ends up happening because of that lack of genuine physical fear that he can he can he cannot generate is all of the decisions and actions everybody makes around him and and that he makes make no sense at all they they make no genuine dramatic sense so you're thinking like what person would act like that what i don't understand I, and so it, it just it completely cuts the legs off of the story that was my that was going through my head so often when we're watching this it's like you know what is going on and why are they doing this like it just seemed like it it seemed like there are TV shows or movies I watch where it's kind of like the writers are like, Oh, we're at this point, we need to insert something. So now this mm -hmm. is going to happen. And you're kind of like, Whoa, where, where did that come from? You know? And, and, and it was just, I mean, you, you, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what you just said, but let's say that everybody on set believed that Benedict Cumberbatch was this giant menacing presence. Then that makes Jesse Plemons character even more of a dumbass because the, right. you, you would worry about leaving your wife there when he's already expressed that he doesn't like it. But like, you know, there wasn't like a sense that he had to leave or like they were going to lose the farm. There was no stakes for him to just disappear, not care and let her mm -hmm. go into like this, you know, <laughs> this, uh, this drinking binge. And then like, you know, worrying about her son, but not having a power to do anything about it. And it just like, I just, every moment I was like, okay, like I could see where if set up properly, this would make for compelling drama and conflict. But then I'm looking at what the movie set up and I'm like, but that's not what's in this movie. It's like the idea of the movie could work, but the yes, execution yes. of the movie doesn't work. Exactly. That's perfectly stated that the idea of this movie is interesting. It is right where you're like, okay, I, I, I'm on board with this, but the execution is so, ay, ay, ay. and look, I, this is the type of movie and, and I have to say, I was, I was bitterly disappointed with it, but this is the type of movie should be right in my wheelhouse. It's an art house film. It's like sort of deconstructing a genre. I love this sort of stuff. And the execution of it is so 
yikes. And part of that, I mean, look, if you're just looking to watch like a movie, like a regular old movie, this is a tough watch because it's the pacing is very deliberate. It's very right. slow paced. But if you're used to that sort of thing, that doesn't bother you. Didn't bother me. But what bothered me were all the sort of ham-handed errors throughout in the filmmaking and the storytelling and the performances. And the fact that it's just being lauded left and right, it, it doesn't baffle me because I understand the bigger picture of why these things happen. But it, it frustrates me because it's another sign of like, hey, actual skill and craft in putting a film together is less important than, you know, the quote unquote narrative of what we want to encourage. Um, which, which this movie, I mean, God damn, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, what are we doing? Now, there are some things to it that like, I, I thought it was um, well photographed. I was, you know, I, was gonna, I was gonna say her composition choices and kind of letting things play out. It was it was like it was like a fine dessert. Like yeah, I found myself. I'm like, it's yeah. not like there's certain movies when they go to the big sweeping, you know, west. It, you know, it's kind of like okay, this is the epic scene that like everybody drives for three days to find the one spot. And she was like, I can kind of make all these spots look grand so there was like a, a simplicity yeah. to the composition and what she chose to show that i really really enjoyed and liked um but that wasn't enough to solve the rest of the problems i mean i i just come back to the best the best stories you have complicated characters that don't always make the right or the obvious or the you know whatever decisions they make but there, there's there's some sort of motivation, or if there's not, it's something back to, and this isn't a great movie, but the, um, what did Nicolas Cage win uh, uh, Leaving Las Vegas? Yeah. Like in that movie, his character was like, all decisions I'm going to make are going to be inconsistent, but the one consistency is I'm going to like drink myself to death. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was like a self-destructive nature to it that made it frustrating because there'd be moments where like, you'd be like, okay, but you knew that the overdriving destructive behavior was there and that you were hoping he would break that. And you needed some, some, uh, some handle like that on these characters, because, you know, it's assumed that the son was gay early in the movie and obviously didn't have like a father figure and all that sort of stuff. And like his dislike and uncomfortableness with Benedict Cumberbatch's character by the time that they started to warm up as friends or, you know, I don't know if they were going to, you know, allude that there might be a, a brewing romance between them. There was never like a pivot. Like it, it was, it was like they set it up where there was like, okay, I don't like him. He's mean to me. <laughs> and then one day he just isn't mean to him. And they're like, Oh, let's go hang out together. And you're kind of like, is that easy? <laughs> it's like you build up this wall right. and then it comes crumbling down with no effort as opposed to like, you know, if, if you saw a more subtle manipulation by Benedict Cumberbatch, where he, the, the younger uh, son didn't really understand he was being manipulated. And so then when he gets sucked in, you realize there's like a, a, a more sinister mind game happening, 
but none of that. It was just like, it was all, all right, we're going to mock and ridicule and kick you. But then when I want you to, you're going to come hang out with me and you're going to ignore your dad, your stepdad and your mom. And you're kind of like, but why? Like, well, I don't understand how we got to this point. And that's right. what was so frustrating is like, all of that would exactly. have been interesting, and, and, but it wasn't. Yeah. Like you're exactly right about the sort of turn that uh, Peter, Cody Smith McPhee, the teenage character, um, makes. He, he sort of, like you could have a, a simple scene where uh, Phil, Cumberbatch's character, uh, stops people from bullying Peter. Yeah. Right? It's, I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. But you don't have that. There's, there's this sort of, oh, hey, come with me. Like, you have to do this now. Come on. And he, he's like, okay, here I go. It's like, what is happening? And, and the other thing that's really interesting to me, and I'd be curious what you think of this, and I know it's based on a book, so, you know, I've not read that book, um, you know, so what can you do? But it felt to me like the geometry of the story, the, the structure of it, was fatally flawed to begin with. So there are four characters interacting with one another. And the movie in the last, I guess it would be the last quarter of the film when it sort of gets into the reveal uh, of, of this sort of, this murder mystery. Um, to me, that, that just seems so out of place in the film. It almost feels like this cheap conclusion to a story they don't know how to end. But to me, the interesting thing, and I'm curious what you think about it is, I feel there's one too many characters. So there's the brothers, there's uh, Jesse Plemons marries Kirsten Dunst, did in real life, but in the movie does as well. And then there's the teenage son, and it feels like you need to remove one of those. Well, and the did. one I would remove, well, no, the one I would, well, you're right. They take Jesse Plemons out. Yeah. But the problem is, is that like, you need to, like the teenage kid thing doesn't, like the most, to, to me, the most interesting storyline is the Kirsten Dunst one. I think she's terrific in the movie and, and really like her as an actress. But I feel like you needed it to be a triangle and not a square. And however you had to do that, whether you get rid of the teenage boy or you get rid of, um, you know, the Jesse Plemons character. I, I just think that it makes more sense if it's a sort of quote unquote love triangle between Jesse Plemons, his brother, Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst. And that to me is more tenable than the sort of incoherence of these four people interacting in unnatural ways and like it, it doesn't make any sense when you step back from it and go okay why is Cumberbatch's Phil torturing Kirsten Dunst's Rose like I you know what I mean like I it, it doesn't it, it, it's not there's no sort of satisfaction from that especially because he's also torturing a teenage boy <laughs> it's like what are it, it just seems so structurally unsound and 
And I found it super frustrating. I think that it was so scattered and incoherent. My 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 educated guess is in the book, you had way more time to balance out those things. And when they cut this down to over two hours. Yeah. The, you needed you needed because you had the gay straight angle you needed jesse plemons to marry kirsten dunst to get her on the farm and trapped there you need that to happen if you would have left it as a straight triangle between his brother you know jesse plemons and uh benedict cumberbatch it doesn't work because you need you need the manipulation of benedict cumberbatch's like character he can't manipulate his brother He's not going to like long-term manipulate his, his, you know, brother's wife. So that's why you have to have the son involved. And so it's like a forced in order to play out the narratives they do, you need those four characters to be there, but you don't need them to be there in a movie where you're looking at these certain actions that are happening, but there's no way to set up the story. Otherwise what they should have done probably is they should have had her have been married and then Jesse Plemons died but I think they would have just ousted her off the property if he wasn't around back then anyway. Yeah. So yeah. they couldn't have done that. So I think it's more, this might be one that's better as a book than it is as a movie. And the the trouble of adapting it and telling the, the main storylines is difficult within the structure of what needs to happen in the time period where everyone's not like, well, they would just throw her out in her ear and she would have been done. Um, but I think to me, I know that when working with actors, a lot of times had a really great uh, experience in directing a, a, a somewhat known actor that we cast in something and his character didn't have a name. It was one of my first things I worked on. And he kept asking, he's like, what's his name? And I'm like, you know, he's just the bad guy. <laughs> and uh -huh. he was very polite to me. And at the end of the shoot, he's like, you never tell an actor that he doesn't have a name and that he's bad. Like you're trying to figure out, you know, what makes that character tick. And I just felt from the get-go that Benedict Cumberbatch's character was just the bad guy. Like there was no, there was, there was never a scene or anything to insinuate that there was like a breath of depth to that character. It was just like, oh, he's a bully. And yet he seems to be in charge of everyone else. But like you said, his, his, he doesn't, he's not a menacing force where you're like, well, how does he control all these other macho men that, you know, mm. if you're around macho men and you get somebody who's kind of like, you know, <laughs> if, if you got an a-hole running around that nobody respects, they'll just take him out. And so he's got to somehow strike fear or get respect from the other men. Um, and I think they did that by kind of insinuating that most of the cowboys were all gay. I couldn't understand the scene where they, kind of sicked him on the uh to kind of surround the boy it was very odd the way the scene played out i'm like i don't know what they're telling us about the relationship with all the cowboys on the on the on the property um and it's neither here nor there but it was kind of like they never established what was benedict Cumberbatch's character's problem like you know i mean it was it was kind of almost like in a cartoon well here's a guy that's trying to take over the world <laughs> doesn't have the tools but he's going to destroy everything around him and I just thought that it would have been much more interesting to have seen what he was trying to get and then why he was running into that thing and why it was kind of eating and torturing his soul. But I did, I was never shown that it was kind of like implied like, well, this is what he would be like. And you're like, well, we're watching a movie. 
like let's let's show that part <laughs> you know you don't have to hit me over the head but i mean at least delve into like what what is driving that behavior so that there's some sort of like connection or empathy that you have because i didn't i didn't find that with his character at all it's just like well someone needs to you know someone needs to stand up to him and put an end to this yeah you know he's obviously supposed to represent toxic masculinity you know um and and this corrosive sort of soul that he has but i i just keep i keep thinking about this of like if you can make the four of them three so you have you're right maybe if jesse plemons character dies and then kirsten dunce is sort of forced into a marriage with phil out of you know convenience or whatever and so then it's a marriage and yet phil can still be you know this closeted gay character and he can still be sort of predatory with the teenage son and then that would you'd understand why uh kirsten dunce's character is trapped and why she drinks herself to death and you know all of these things and and it makes the 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 twist at the end with the murder um more sort of satisfying or believable if oh that's your stepfather and you have to deal with this guy the rest of your life so you got to do any torturing your mother um or if you just take the teenage boy out of it and jesse plemons and kirsten does get married but you know phil is a closeted homosexual and maybe as uh you know boys there was some romantic sexual thing between the two brothers and then that makes sense for why phil is torturing rose and you know like it, all of these sort of dynamics but with the four of them together you're just sort of like it just makes no sense and and you end up getting this performance from cumberbatch which is so ungrounded it, it, it stuff there are times i remember i saw um a stage production um i won't say who the actor is but a, a very famous actor was doing a shakespearean production and was supposed to be playing this warrior and the his physicality was really interesting and he was a british actor um who i like quite a bit uh, just say it, it was and, Benedict. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> no, it wasn't Benedict Cumberbatch. It was, it was actually an actor, and and I I knew him and and had an interaction with him. Um, I had actually taken a class with him when I was in London. Anyway, the point being is that he chose to physically have his center of gravity in his pelvis. So when he moved, sort of his pelvis led the way. And I'm sure he was thinking, oh, this will make me seem grounded on stage. But it didn't make him seem grounded. It made him seem flighty because if he were playing a real warrior, especially in a Shakespearean play, those warriors were carrying many times broadswords. These are barrel chested guys who that's where they carry their weight up there. And they walk with a wider gait in order to accommodate that as opposed to having your feet closer together and walking with your pelvis leading the way um which is difficult to describe on a podcast but just we're all envisioning it now keep going right um but it it was just it was an error by this great great actor one of the great actors of our time and cumberbatch feels the same in this he feels so physically slight and so 
disconnected from the ground and and and, and that's why he lacks that menace and it's so funny because he's played other characters obviously actually every character he plays is sort of this sneering snarky smarter than you guy now phil the character in this is smarter than everybody else but that sort of snarkiness that sneering thing comes across more as just a petulant adolescent bitchiness than it does oh wow this we have to be careful with this guy like i couldn't understand why like you say like if nobody nobody would respect him no because he has a sharp tongue these are cowboys these are guys who are working long hours using their hands back breaking work you know i mean if you've ever done any of that shit just anybody who's ever had to dig a hole for a fucking fence i mean christ it's horrifying it's the worst thing in the world and it's back-breaking work and if some snarky sharp-tongued uh turd starts saying stuff to you you're not just going to be like "Ooh, oh i hope he doesn't make fun of me you're going to be like oh you know what i'm going to break his jaw we'll see how funny he is then right like that's how it works and that's not toxic masculinity by the way that's masculinity is that the toxic part of it is when it gets to be unmoored from the ground and unmoored from reality where men understand you can say stuff to men like men you and i are men we have hung out in male spaces and you understand that you can bust each other's balls you can say stuff you can do this but you you all know that it's not even a specific thing you talk about it's how you talk about somebody (laughs) that crosses the line where it becomes like okay listen you may be bigger and stronger than me, but here's the deal. You say that shit again, <laughs> we're going to have a real fucking problem here. And this movie cannot grasp that. And it's, it's a caricature of masculinity. And it always irritates the hell out of me when a filmmaker, regardless of their gender, doesn't understand the, the topic at a genuine level that they're making the movie about. And Jane Campion, not surprisingly, considering the history of the film she's made, doesn't have the slightest notion about what men really are like and what masculinity is like. And so you end up with this charade of a film that is, that it's like a, a joke. It, it's, it's absurd. And, you know, you don't have to be a man to make a movie about masculinity. You just have to be someone who understands masculinity right same way like a man can make a movie about you know feminine nature and and women and things like that and but you you can't just make it like oh this is what i perceive it to be and then that's you know we had enough of that (laughs) you know we had like 50 years of that in hollywood and you know you get these absurd sort of notions the you know the male gaze and all these things but that's what's so frustrating about this movie is that like there's not a real man in this entire thing so, to sort of carry the, the water. It's bizarre. Two, two questions. Number one, I've been the whole time yeah. you've been talking, I've been trying to figure out there's a, there's a great scene in a movie. And for some reason I can't pull what movie it's from, but there's just someone, you know, there's like two guys having, you know, kind of going at it. And the more masculine of the two just slaps the guy. <laughs> like multiple times just emasculating the guy that was trying to and he just like walked away they didn't even have to fight it was just a couple slaps to the face and i can't remember the name of the movie but that i just picture that that you know benedict cumberbatch comes up to one of these other you know cowboys 
and he starts running his tongue and the cowboy just slaps him right <laughs> he's just like all right well that we're done with that now um and th- that would have changed the whole movie uh on its ear but what's funny is you know in the piano jane got to work with both sam neill and um uh harvey Keitel. you know yeah. both much more of a traditional masculine you know yeah. body type and in their personalities so it's not like yes. she's immune to it but it led me to think yeah. if you had control of this who would you have cast that's not benedict cumberbatch because you know what's really funny? he, he yeah. he's nominated for best actor yes he he's probably he potentially the front runner to win it so obviously you're taking a successful like performance and you want to bury it so the world wants to know how does mike want to take a perfect performance and change it and change history what multiverse funny. Are i this week i sat down and was going over this movie and was thinking like you know playing our little our producer sort of studio head job and i was like okay who, who would i cast who would i cast and uh i came up with somebody and then it frustrated me because I listened to another podcast and they mentioned the same guy. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> so frustrated me. <laughs> I thought I was so clever in coming up with this and somebody else already said it. Um, the person I would have play Cumberbatch is not a physically imposing person. But he is, he puts out that vibe, man. And you're just like, ah, okay. This person is unnerving. And that actor is Ben Foster. Well, that's you cheating. Because put... that's, that's <laughs> I mean, he's our go-to for everything. I, mean, I know, we love Ben Foster. I, mean, I love Ben Foster. I wish he was in so many things. Um, he, but it's that presence. And you think, here's, here's another perfect example of Ben Foster. He um, totally embodies toxic masculinity in Hell or High Water. Yeah. He's the, he's the one, right? And he's terrific in it. And, you know, the other thing is I, I was thinking about as I was watching this is uh, Hell or High Water, one of our favorite movies. Absolutely. We love that movie. And, you know, uh, Taylor Sheridan wrote that movie. No one writes or understands, you know, modern masculinity better than Taylor Sheridan. Nobody. And I kept thinking of his movies and I'm like, oh, man, you know, uh, even Chris Pine, who is is not a particularly great actor, I would have Chris Pine in this movie. Or you know, um, what was the other one? Wind River. Uh, yeah. it, you know, um, oh, what's his name? Hawkeye. The the uh, guy oh, from the, um, the. I see his face. Yeah, I can't. Can Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. You know, guys like that who like at least you see it on their face of like, oh, okay. Like, uh, I get it. Like, they'll they'll scrap with you. They've they've been through the rounds with people. And so people like that, I would put in this film. It's just, the Cumberbatch thing just so doesn't work for me and, and so undermines the entire movie. I would say this about the rest of the cast. I think Kirsten Dunst is terrific. And... I really, really like her as an actress, particularly her sort of late, um, her, her shift to the art house stuff, you know, um, when she did uh, Melancholia is uh, a great movie I really love and she's phenomenal in it. Um, when she played, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Marie Antoinette 
um, the Sofia Coppola film. She's great in that. So I really like her as an actress. I love Jesse Plemons. I, I would have directed him differently in this. And, and I think he needed more. The character needed more. And Cody Smith-McPhee is, for what he's tasked to do, he's, he does it incredibly well. Um, he, he physically fits the description. And he sort of is a, a weird kid. I could see them casting, um, you know, if they had the money, like Timothy Chalamet or something like that. Uh, he's sort of your go-to pretty boy that you can put in something. Uh, I know you're a huge fan. Um, I literally cannot think of a way to make the movie worse, and you just did. You literally just made it from being like, there are parts that are worth it to like, you might as well burn the city down. Um, so I was thinking about, I mean, I think there's a couple actors I think you could have put in there that would have just been interesting i don't know if it would have made it you know i don't think it would have necessarily elevated but it would have been you know somewhat interesting i think one he's had some interesting performances but he also is sometimes borderlines nicholas cage where you're kind of like you know is he a real actor or is he just a movie star but imagine if you would have put uh oh gosh uh what's the same matthew mcconaughey in this and tried to kind of pull out the Dallas Buyers Club kind of, you know, in oh his normal box. I'm just saying, like, it, it's a different take, but it would have been somewhat interesting because you could have believed that he could have intimidated everybody else. He could have had the charm to, you know, play the mind games, but it would have been, I think, too slick, you know, for yeah, that yeah. movie, like for the budget and what they're going for. And there's a guy that I don't really like as an actor, but because there wasn't so much demanded of this, it would have been curious to watch him go from a mega movie star into a role like this. But I don't know if it would have worked, but it would have been interesting. But imagine if Daniel Craig would have been in that role. You mean Daniel Craig, who since he was a man in his early 20s has gone to gay bars instead yes. of... Correct. regular bars because he i mean he could attempt doesn't want to get into fights yeah yep <laughs> but think about it one of the stranger ways to come out of the closet by the way <laughs> is to announce that you only go to bars and and every guy on the planet hears him say that and goes oh oh okay i i guess that that makes sense i i don't know why you're not just saying yeah i'm a gay man what difference does it make who cares um yeah, I could. I guess I could see that Daniel Craig. Yeah, okay, I, I could go with that. That's fine. I mean, that what's weird is like this. This is a very hard role to cast because it's you kind of want like a personality and you want a body type and you want an acting ability, but you don't want it to overpower with like a movie star, you know. But like a movie like this needs to have a name attached to it. I don't think you could have just went and got some great character actor that people aren't aware of. I think they would have played it well, but I don't think you would have been able to sell this movie. I don't think, you know, Jane hasn't directed a, a feature film since 2008. Her name isn't yeah. going to sell this thing. Um, so, I mean, I think that when it came out, I mean, it, to me, it felt like, oh, it's a Benedict Cumberbatch movie. And then when you start watching, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> something, right, and you're right. like, oh, okay, this is an art house. Okay, I, I now see what this is. They, you know, sometimes when they show you previews, you're like, oh, it's like a, you know, it's with this type of movie. Then you start watching, like, oh no, it's not. They're they're tricking us because 
you know, if you if you said that if you put this movie out on its face, it wouldn't find a broad audience because it's not made for a broad audience. And that's not a bad thing. But sometimes then when they market it, <laughs> you suck in the wrong people and they get very angry. Like, what? What was this? Why was I watching this? I thought it was like, you know, a Western. You're like, what well, is? Yeah. But it's not the Western that if you love Westerns is the one that you'd run out to see, you know, at, at the at the opening weekend. Yeah, it's not, obviously. But, you know, th- that's not something that turns me off, obviously. Like, it, you know, like I say, deconstructing a genre is can be an interesting exercise for a filmmaker, and, and I'm all in on it. It's just to do it so poorly as this is, is what really gets my goat, man, where I'm just like, God damn. Because the, the, it's all there for this to be a good movie. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It just... It, it it doesn't work for a variety. Of, I think the story is flawed. I think the structure is flawed. I think uh, Cumberbatch's performance is flawed. Um, you know, I, like I said, I I do think it's shot um, well. I don't I don't think it's shot great. I, I do think it's shot well. The music, interestingly, is by Johnny Greenwood, who is one of the you know very successful composers in Hollywood. Uh, he's a guitarist for Radiohead. Um, and I found myself distracted by the score because it's so reminiscent of There Will Be Blood. Uh, and, and which, you know, to me is just such a vastly superior movie about traditional toxic masculinity. How about that? I can't believe Paul Thomas Anderson made a better movie about toxic masculinity. That's the scene. uh, Right. (laughs) That's the scene where he slaps him. That's it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Together. We did it. That's right. He slaps him and puts his face in the mud. Yeah. Right. Just and it's I mean, it's such a powerful scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh shit. But right, that's that's the point I'm making is that like you can have, and of course, look, let, let's not kid ourselves. Benedict Cumberbatch is no Daniel Day Lewis. No. And and Lewis brings that intensity, I'm sure, wherever he goes, room to room in his house. But like that's the point I'm making is that story, There Will Be Blood, is about the same topic. It's just done so much better. And you don't need, like, the whole, this will sound uh, dismissive, it's not meant to be, but the whole homosexual angle, the whole gay angle to this story is in a real sense just extraneous. It's, it's really just about sort of uh this this sort of performative oh see any male who is toxic is really a closeted gay man um that that's sort of a trite uh storytelling device but even if you take that stuff out if, if you take that stuff out this becomes a much more interesting story because it's more uh genuine you know and, and there will be blood's a perfect example of tackling toxic masculinity in an interesting way for a filmmaker. Um, you know, the whole undermining or, 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 uh, you know, turning a, a genre on its head, um, in terms of the, the Western notion is done better, of course, with Brokeback Mountain. And that has the whole, you know it's a gay love story and it's so much like 
it's it's just a trillion miles better than this movie and it feels like this film wants to be a combination of those two much better movies and ends up being just such a vastly inferior piece of work and i i just i was like i was so disappointed in it because you can see you can feel that like oh man there's something there but jane campion just is not it she this is this is beyond uh her grasp and the film suffers because of it the film suffers because of cumberbatch and it suffers because of its structure i think so i i definitely am disappointed in the film and i can't recommend it to anybody like i was i was talking to somebody last night who's very um you know well-schooled cinephile we're talking and he's been out of the loop for a bit for for health reasons and so he was asking me oh what what do i need to watch to catch up on things and i he asked about this movie i'm like no you, you don't need to see this movie why why would you need to see this movie the well i'll tell you why the only reason i would recommend this movie to someone is if you want to deconstruct what is not working in a movie that has elements like there's certain movies you just watch and you're like there's nothing here like i don't know why this movie was made it's just burn the burn the whole scrap heap this one you know there there's elements there that could have made this a much better movie and i think sometimes deconstructing what doesn't work in a movie is yeah. almost as as helpful because you're going to see way more movies that don't live up to excellence than you will excellent movies and i think sometimes when i analyze an excellent movie you're kind of like right. it's almost like it's like a the unicorn you're like well that all just lined up so perfectly that nobody could have you know it could never be done again you know sort of thing you know like you hear stories of apocalypse now and you're like if you ever need an argument that there's a god or some sort of divine being how apocalypse now <laughs> under the circumstances they shot that came out coherent in an all-time great you're like there's something weird going on there because you do that in other films and it's a dumpster fire so it's just interesting you know so that's where right. I would recommend this to have someone see, okay, you know, watch this. And you're like, well, why didn't that work? Well, analyze it, you know, think through like what could have been different, like what's bothering you. And then you can start kind of, you know, stitching those things together. But I, I, I got a hot take that's going to make you, well, A, it'll alienate our entire audience as me being any sort of authoritative figure on why anybody should listen to my opinions. Um, but I got... I got a, a random deep cut of a movie that I think has similar elements. It's not a perfect movie, but I think is better than this movie that if someone was going to go, I'd, I'd tell them what to go see. That isn't obviously something like uh, there will be blood because a people should watch this or should watch that movie um, regardless. But I, I, I would recommend a different movie in its place. So before I tell you mine, if you're not going to recommend this, what would you recommend if you can't recommend there will be blood. What do you mean? Like just like movies from this year? No, no, no. Just like a movie that kind of has, you know, it, obviously there's only certain movies that are going to try to like, you know, deconstruct like the old West or something like that. It doesn't have to have yeah. all the elements just has some of the elements that are in this movie that would be more enjoyable than this movie that, mm. you know. Hmm. I'll have to think about You're that. the you, blockbuster. You you're the blockbuster employee that because this movie's out, 
this is your recommendation for like it's not an apples to apples but you got to give someone like hey if you like that you should check out this one and they maybe hasn't, yeah. haven't heard of it or seen it i'll have to think about it you you give your answer and all I'll right so this giving. this is i don't remember what year this was but uh i would recommend someone go watch sling blade with billy bob okay yeah i'm all in on sling blade you got you, know, you, you got the interesting toxic masculinity with the you know the uh what's his face um uh, john ritter's character you know struggling with being you know gay with all the toxic masculinity around you have mm -hmm. the abuse you have the lost child you have the twist ending like i feel like there's enough there that you know if you if you want to go see an interesting well-made movie that's not necessarily perfect but worth your time i would recommend go see sling blade and skip power of the dog all right yeah i mean i would recommend people see sling blade anyway yeah well, no um, but this is this is your blockbuster similar movies as you should watch yes yeah okay um <laughs> see this is sometimes when you put me on the spot i'm like i, I know, fail I know. catastrophe um, like i'm doing it to you now as payback <laughs> um well i mean you know so of course, you know, the movies we already discussed, There Will Be Blood, Brokeback yep. Mountain. Um, uh, Unforgiven is another. Okay, that I'd accept that. Like, you know, these are easy. Another one that just popped into my head, which I actually had the good fortune of stumbling upon the other day, was uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, you know what? I've never seen it. It's, it's. I, you should see it. I'll watch it. I, I, I have to else, yeah. I got the yeah. DVD at a garage sale, so I, I got it upstairs. <laughs> I just haven't gotten around to watching it, so I'll, I'll watch that. Yeah, one. it's it's uh, it's interesting, and there's that's the Coen Brothers, right? Yeah, Coen Brothers. Yeah, and it it came out the same year as uh, There Will yeah. Be Blood. Interestingly enough, um, those are the only ones I can think of right now. The, and of course, the other movie we mentioned, Hell or High Water. Uh, yeah, I feel like know. we better branch out from the four movies. I know. We always recommend. <laughs> it's gonna sound like we don't watch anything. Oh God! Um, yeah, I can't. I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of anything sort of in this lane. Trying to think of like art housey uh, type of movies. Yeah, I mean those that bunch that we always mention. But um, <laughs> I mean, we're so predictable. <laughs> I wish Blockbuster was still open just so I could get a job. That would be, yeah. that would be I think there's um, one in Portland. So if you want to move to Portland, you can go work with the last blockbuster. Maine or Oregon? I think it's Oregon. Uh, I can't handle Oregon right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like Oregon, actually. I've been there. Uh, Portland was not so great, but the, the state of Oregon is beautiful. Well, I, I say um, the state is beautiful. I can't stand the people. So I will never I will never find myself moving to Portland. <laughs> and and there goes all our listeners. Yep, there, the rest of our audience is now there gone. There they go. Um, okay, so here's something else to talk about just as we wrap up. Um, so Power of the Dog has 12 nominations. It's favorite to win Best Picture, as we talked about. Uh, Jane Campion is favorite to win Best Director. And she's also up for uh, Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. Um, there's been some controversy just in the last few days about this movie that First of all, last week, Sam Elliott, the actor, who's sort of this, you know, 
Marlboro Man iconic cowboy character. He said he hated the movie and that he is his argument is similar to mine. Um, he he wasn't quite as eloquent as I was, but he basically <laughs> said like you know this movie everybody thinks cowboys are all gay. They're, this isn't how cowboys are. And Jane Campion responded by calling him a bitch. Um, you know, this is the world we live in. I can't imagine that would hurt Jane Campion's chances, you know, sort of standing up to what people perceive as Sam Elliott being. Um, Get off uh, my lawn, toxic masculinity. Yeah, but, but then at the, I think it was the Critics' Choice Awards, might have been the Baptist, I don't remember. Uh, on Sunday, Jane Campion made some comment. Uh, Serena and Venus Williams were there. And she said, oh, you guys are great, but you don't have to compete against the men like I do. And everybody cheered, including Venus and Serena, by the way. Everybody cheered. But then afterwards, um, everybody freaked out and was basically being like, this is somehow, I don't know, diminishing of Venus and Serena. And, and it was somehow racist. Or so. I don't even know. But people were pissed about it. Social media went nuts. Um, and Jane Campion has since apologized. Now, personally, I think what Jane Campion was saying uh, was obnoxious, not for the reason other people think it was. Um, it was obnoxious because she talked about her fellow um, nominees. She just called them the boys or whatever, the guys. And I, I'm so sickened by this bullshit about, oh, you know, a couple of years ago it happened. Like, oh, for all, here are all the male nominees. And it's like, hey, listen, sweetheart. How about making not a shitty movie? How, how does that sound? And tell us what male directors shouldn't be nominated and what female directors should. And of course, you're looking at um, nothing but shit movies. So it's a tough choice. Anyway, my question to you is this after that wow. rant. I, I, um, I feel attacked yeah, over I, here. What, what's happening? I, I, hate, I hate just all of that performative victimhood bullshit. It, it, Jane Campion doesn't need to do that, right? She just doesn't. And anyway, my question to you is, do you think, because on this Thursday, we are recording this on Wednesday, March something or other. I don't even know what the date is. Good, help me. It's the 16th today. Yep. So on the 17th, St. Patrick's Day, um, Oscar voting starts. Do you think any of this stuff going on around the power of the dog is going to hurt the movie or hurt Jane Campion? And also, do you think it's going to win Best Picture? And do you think Jane Campion will win Best Director? Hot take coming. Hot take coming. Um, there's a lot hot of take. Hold on, hold on. Let me get the sound effect. Woo, woo, woo. Hot <laughs> take, hot take coming. I, I gotta save you doing the siren uh, sounds for future podcasts. Um, I think, I think this will have some effect. I don't think it's going to be large. Um, with this year being what it is, any movement could impact. <laughs> Because I don't think there's any kind of clear juggernaut that's going on here, but I think I think this year is going to be another kind of whatever you want to call it, like a, uh, you know, a, a benchmark. How this year's Academy Award goes will show us what is the makeup of the Academy currently and where is it going. And yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion 
that what's going to happen is Jane is going to win Best Director. And I think Coda is going to win Best Picture because I think it's going to follow suit a little bit like Green Book, that they're going to pick a little bit more palatable movie that, you know, a broader audience that makes up the uh, Academy will go, oh, it's an art house, but like that one was, you know, that was more, I enjoyed watching that more than I enjoyed watching Power of the Dog. And I think that's going to squeak out over Power of the Dog, I think. Um, if Power of the Dog wins, then I think any of those more traditional stories, you know, structure like a green book or like a coda with, you know, not as far off. I think those will go the way of the dog <laughs> and be phased out in, in future years. So I think this is kind of like, where, where is the Academy at? I, I think there's enough people within the Academy that will go, I just, I just, that one didn't do it for me. And so they have an out in coda uh, because there is no, no legitimate best picture candidate. So now it's like, well, I'll just plug my nose and vote for this. So I think, I think Jane wins best uh, director. And I think uh, Coda wins best picture. Yeah. You know, we, we had a text exchange about this uh, last night, I think, or the night before. And um, you asked me <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, yeah, um, I think, I think you're right on all counts. And I think you're right that this is going to be a real, a real benchmark. Because if the power of the dog wins, in a sense, it's a real victory for number one it'll be netflix winning it'll be their first best picture win um they've been trying like hell to get one and it would be their first win it would also indicate a certain um you know it's difficult to guess who, who's going to win and who's not because the the academy has changed so much just in recent years in terms of membership and you know you you could predict reliably who was going to win for years and years and years leading up to the last few years. Um, so if the power of the dog wins, it, it, it sort of signals this um, battle going on in the Academy. And this would be a win for sort of the newer people. And that's happened in recent years. It sort of goes on and off. So Moonlight wins and then Green Book wins. And then, uh, you know, um, uh, the uh, parasite wins, and then you know, oh, what wins next? And then you know, Nomad won last year, and so that's sort of an odd art housey movie. So the biggest thing to me is if Coda wins, it really signals. I mean, Coda would be the worst film to win Best Picture that I can ever think of. It is so amateurish and, and it is just such a, a pile of dung. And it's a feel good movie and that's great, but it, it should be on the Hallmark Channel. And for that to win Best Picture is just, it would have been inconceivable 
just a few years ago that it would even be nominated or even get any attention at all. And for it to win would be crazy. But here's the thing about both of these movies that is a strong indication of what's going on in the Academy. And it's always been there in a sense, but you know, the power of the dog is an issues movie. And the issue is again, toxic masculinity. And it's also a gay movie. You know, the, the, this happens. Um, Coda is of course an issues movie. It's about people with disability and Coda sucks. It's a terrible film. The Power of the Dog is not a good film, but at least it's well-made enough, right? It's professionally made. Coda, I mean, Christ, looks like somebody shot it with their camera on, on their iPhone. It's just, but here's the thing. I think you're right. I think the momentum is with Coda. I think Coda's going to win Best Picture. And I think it's because that movie makes people feel good. That movie winning would make people feel good because you know they they had the cast had a great um reception when they won the sag award and you know they're they're just they're the underdog and they act that way and they're so happy to be there and jane campion's behavior um in the last two weeks doesn't strike you as the underdog she seems sort of especially that speech i mean the tone of it was just not great so I think she's still going to win Best Director. I can't imagine anybody else wins it. I think Coda wins Best Picture. I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch wins. I think Will Smith is going to win Best Actor. Um, I don't think any of the actors from this movie are going to win. Um, you know, which I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Kristen Dunst win. I think she's very good. But yeah, anyway, so that's our, those are our Oscar predictions. Bottom line, Barry, would you recommend The Power of the Dog to anyone? Anybody ever? who wants to understand how flawed movies gets made, yes. If you want to watch it for a movie or to enjoy yourself, uh, in no way, shape, or form uh, should yeah. you bother to waste your time on this. I concur with my friend and colleague, Barry Anderson. Uh, so I guess that wraps up our discussion. No, about I'm, the power I'm of doubling the dog. down. Go see... Go see Sling Blade. If you if if you if you if you're yeah. on Netflix and you're like, I think I want to watch Power of the Dog, just say, Oh no, Barry said I'll go find wherever Sling Sling Blade is and I'll watch that and you'll thank me. Cause someday you'll go back and watch Power of the Dog and go like, Whoa, I'm so glad that <laughs> I watched Sling Blade over that. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm Sling gonna Blade is great. It's great. I mean, I, I just remember seeing that movie in the theater and just being so excited. Yes. You know, it's like, man, that's so great that this guy just came up with this thing and did it. So awesome. And he's great. So awesome. It's a great performance. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. The power of the dog is, as they say, a dog. Don't go see it. Don't watch it. Don't waste your time. Um, and that's it. That wraps up this this compelling episode of Looking California Film, Minnesota. And we will see you next time at the movies.